0: Well, church, if you do have your Bibles there this morning, let's uh, be there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're coming to the end of this book here, one of Paul's earliest letters in the New Testament. And I I pray that this has been an encouraging time as we've moved through this letter this summer. And we're coming down to this last chapter. And our plan would be that we will uh, jump into 2 Thessalonians before too long. We may have a couple of weeks gap in between, but... But we want to continue to walk through these, these letters and see what God has for us. But uh, today we're really going to be talking about, and it's, it's fitting that, that Barry and his family are here with us today, because we're really going to be talking about today the reason why missions, like what the quarters are doing in Georgia, like what the Reynolds family is doing in Louisville, but others that we know and are connected with around the world why is missions so necessary? And one of the primary reasons why missions is so necessary is because of what we're going to talk about this morning that there is coming a day when missions will not only no longer be necessary, it will no longer be possible. The work that is being done around the world to reach people for Jesus Christ has a time stamp. There is an expiration date on this work and the time is now. As we consider these things this morning, we're going to pick up kind of where we left off last week, the end of 1 Thessalonians 4 and the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 5 is really talking about, I believe, the same event that's coming, a day in the history of the world that's coming, a date on God's calendar that we do not yet know, but we as the people of God must be looking forward to and hastening by being about His business. And so we're going to call this part two today of this message, Be Informed, Be Encouraged. As followers of Jesus Christ, the things we're going to share about today ought to be of the greatest encouragement to us, not just to be satisfied where we are, but to be propelled forward in his mission in the world. But I would tell you this morning, if you do not belong to Jesus Christ by faith, The things we're going to talk about today should be the most fearful and anxiety causing things. The most fearful thoughts in all of this world come from this passage if you do not know Jesus Christ. We're going to talk today about this thing called the Day of the Lord. All throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, there are continual references to the day of the Lord. You'll see more than two dozen explicit references and and multiple passages all throughout the Old Testament. And then the New Testament picks it up as well and continues to describe this day that is yet to come. It is the most important day that should be on all of our calendars, and yet we don't know when it's coming. But it ought to shape the way that we live. So what is this thing called the day of the Lord? Well, if we were to turn back to Genesis chapter 3, I believe we see the very first glimpse of the day of the Lord. This day that is yet to come is foreshadowed from the very beginning of the world. If you know the scriptures, you know that Genesis chapter 3 is describing the day on which sin entered into the world. When God created the world, He created it perfect, it was sinless, without any imperfections whatsoever. Mankind was given but one rule, which was to stay away, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was in the center of that beautiful garden that God had created. But we know the story goes, the the, the account of history is telling us that mankind chose rather than the righteousness of God, mankind chose rebellion against God and chose to eat of that fruit and therefore plunged the world into to the effects of sin and death that we still experience today in genesis chapter 3 after mankind has sinned against god god comes pursuing them here's good news for us god comes pursuing us in our sin he doesn't wait for us to deal with our sin before he comes after us He came after Adam and Eve as soon as they had sinned. And in a verse that may be familiar to you, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says that they, those first two people, Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Now, at first glance, Genesis 3, 8 sounds like a very peaceful scene. The Lord just taking a leisurely stroll through the garden on that cool day. But if you look at the footnote related to Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, it says that that word cool, that he was walking along in the cool of the day, that that word could also be translated wind or spirit. This changes the picture of what might appear to us to be a nice, peaceful scene. The Lord is taking a stroll through the garden and happens to come upon these two rebels who have sinned against him. No, the scene here is the Lord is coming down in the fullness of his spirit as at work. And this is not a peaceful scene. This is a fearful scene because the Lord is coming in judgment. I hope you see that if God was coming simply in peace, if God was simply coming to bring them comfort, then why did they hide themselves? They hid themselves because they heard the thunderous footsteps of God in the garden. They knew that his spirit was present and his spirit could not tolerate the presence of sin that they had unleashed in the world. This is the first glimpse we get of the day of the Lord from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. And then we go to Isaiah chapter 2, and we go to Isaiah chapter 16, and we go to the prophet Amos, and we go to the prophet Joel, and Ezekiel talks about it, and Jeremiah talks about it, and over and over again, they're pointing forward to this coming day of the Lord, and all along the way, God in His grace is giving them glimpses of what the day of the Lord was going to be like. And in His grace, church, He's still doing that for us today. Because the day of the Lord, the fullness of it is yet to come. And we need to be informed of what it's going to be like. So that we can be encouraged in the mission God has given us in the meantime. So let's talk today about the coming day of the Lord. What is it? What will it be like? What do we need to know? And what do we need to know? What do we need to be doing between now and then? The coming day of the Lord, first of all, is a day of inescapable destruction for the rebellious. From the very beginning, when God said, eat not of this fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, lest you die. Lest destruction come upon you. Lest there be a chasm between you and me. This chasm of sin and death that separates us from God. Lest those things take place. And this day of the Lord that we see throughout Scripture is pictured as a day of great destruction. Now when I use the word destruction this morning, I want you to understand we are not talking about annihilation. We are not talking about the ceasing of existence. We are talking about destruction in terms of a separation from God, being removed from all the goodness and grace of God. And ultimately, that day of the Lord will mean a separation from the goodness and and grace of God for all of eternity. A chasm will be fixed that no one can cross. This day will be a day of inescapable destruction for the rebellious. Look at our text this morning, verses 1 through 3. Again, Paul writes concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Apparently, they had written to Paul asking about the day of the Lord. He had taught them about it when he planted this church. He had a very limited time with them before he had to leave. He was run off by the persecution that erupted there in Thessalonica. But he had talked with them about the fact that the Lord is coming again. But there had been false teachers apparently that had come in behind Paul and had said, well, the day of the Lord has already come and you missed it. Now you only have left his judgment. You've missed the grace of God because the day of the Lord has already come. And Paul says, no, you remember what I told you. The day of the Lord is yet to come. But concerning, concerning the, the when, concerning when it's going to come, that's yet unknown. Here's what we know, here's the balance we need to maintain, church, as we think about the coming day of the Lord. Christ's return is both imminent and unknown. Imminent as you think about the day of the Lord, as you read about the day of the Lord in Scripture, again and again, two words are used it is near and it is coming. It's the constant refrain as you hear about the day of the Lord from the prophets of the Old Testament. It is near and it is coming. And it is coming soon. That is the picture. That is what is propelling us as we think about our mission in the world, that there is an expiration date for what God has given us to do in this world. Leaf Samuel said, If there's one thing certain about the timing of the Lord's return, it's this we cannot be certain of the timing and so there's a certainty and an uncertainty mixed together here and yet we are trusting in the promise of almighty god that he is coming soon and the final prayer of the bible in revelation chapter 22 encourages us to pray come soon lord jesus what are we calling upon him to do we are calling upon him to bring the day of the lord some may question Why would we pray for God to bring that day of inescapable judgment and destruction? Because we're praying for his will to be done. We're praying for his perfect justice to be displayed. But also as we pray, come soon, Lord Jesus, we are praying, make us faithful until you come. Cause us not to fall back into sin and selfishness. But we notice something else here. If you look at verse two of our text, we notice that before the day of the Lord comes, that a false peace will precede the coming destruction. This is important. As you look back to the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Ezekiel who were prophesying in the days before the Babylonian captivity, remember that that King Nebuchadnezzar brought the armies of Babylon in to Jerusalem and utterly devastated the people of God. He destroyed the temple. He tore down the walls. He utterly decimated that place with the fiery judgment. And that was a, a foretelling. That was a foreshadowing of the coming day of the Lord when God himself will destroy the world with fire. But in those days, as Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others were prophesying that the Babylonians were going to come and they were going to destroy Jerusalem, there were other false prophets who were proclaiming that they were living in a day of peace and security. All is well. The economy's never been better. Look at how well everything is going. Our kingdom is expanding. Everything is wonderful. They were proclaiming peace, peace. But God said, There is no peace. Destruction is at your door and you don't even know it. Perhaps that's some of us today. Eternity is at the door, destruction is coming. And we're living as if we have peace and security when that has not been promised to us. I know the promises that have been made in our country over this last year. If you will just elect this person, there will be peace and security. If you'll just take this vaccine, there will be peace and security. If you'll just make these investments with your money, there will be peace and security. But the world cannot give us peace and security. Only God can do that. Only He has the ability to bring peace. And I would say to us this morning... Every one of us in this room, we will either trust in the false peace of this world that will lead to destruction, or we will trust in the true peace of God that will lead us to life eternal and everlasting peace. So what do we do? What's the call upon our lives? It's right here in the text. The call upon our lives is to be aware and to be set to be ready for the coming day. This day is coming, and it's coming for all of us. Believers and unbelievers, Americans and Iranians, all of the world are going to experience the even the dead and those who are still living are going to experience this coming day of the Lord when the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are raised first. We talked about these things last week at the end of chapter four. Jesus spoke about them in Matthew 24. He said, but concerning that day, that coming day of the Lord, and that hour, no one knows. No one knows the timing, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. Now how the Father knows something the Son doesn't know is a mystery. But we just know what he's saying here. Only the Father knows when that day will come. Therefore, listen, this is the response we must have. Therefore, you also, church, you must be ready. The world will not be ready. He will come like a thief in the night and the world will not be ready. But you must be ready because you know the promise of his coming. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And you say, how can I be ready For an hour I do not expect. I hope you'll see it as we continue in our text this morning. The day of the Lord is a day of inescapable judgment and destruction for the rebellious. But the day of the Lord is also a mixture. It's a day both of impending darkness and unending daylight. And again, that there is. It's such a mixture here. We don't know exactly how do we make sense of this. How can it be a a day of impending darkness and unending daylight? The difference maker is where you stand before the God who will bring this day to pass. Where you stand with him depends on. That's what determines whether the day of the Lord will be for you a day of unending darkness or a day of unending eternal light. He speaks about it there in verse four when he says, brothers, you are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. You are children of light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness. There's two groups here. Those who are called the children of the night or of the darkness and those who are called the children of the light or of the day. And, And the recognition here is, first of all, that the children of the night, they are spiritually impaired. They are spiritually impaired. He speaks about them as being asleep or being drunken. They are spiritually impaired. Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul writes about these and he says, in their case, the, the God of this world, notice it's a little g God. This is not the God, the Lord God Almighty that we sang to earlier. This is the little g God. This is Satan himself. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing the light of the glory of the gospel. Of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. It's their walking around with blinders. Those who do not know Christ, are walking around with blinders on and they cannot see the light or the glory of this great gospel of Jesus Christ until God removes those blinders. They are spiritually impaired. In fact, so much so, Ephesians chapter 2 says, we are spiritually dead. I must tell you this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are spiritually dead. It's not easy news to relay, but it is hopeful news because we have a God who raises the dead. We've already heard about him this morning. I want you to see what he's saying to you today. If you would hear this gospel, if you would understand the greatness of what Christ has done for you in his death and in his burial and in his resurrection, and that he is the king above all kings, if you would begin to hear that for the first time this morning, understand the blinders are being removed, and they're being removed by the hand of God. Not by the hand of this preacher. I don't have that ability. I have no ability to raise the dead. But God does. He has the ability to give sight to the blind, to cause the lame to walk, that they might leap like the deer. And that's what He would desire to do for us. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 4 For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, Let light shine out of darkness. He has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so while the children of the night or of or, or the darkness are spiritually impaired, the children of the light are spiritually enlightened. What that means is this. We didn't just figure this thing out, folks. If you belong to Jesus, understand this morning, it wasn't because you were smarter than somebody else. It wasn't because of any ability in you whatsoever. All of us had the same spiritual impairment, but we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And what can a dead man do about his situation? Nothing. Only the power of God can raise the dead and give sight to the blind. And that's what we're talking about this morning. As we think about the coming day of the Lord, we're recognizing that for some, those who continue in their rebellion against this righteous God, that they will continue in a place of judgment and destruction forever. The difference maker is Jesus Christ, the light of the world. He gives sight to the blind. He raises up the lame to walk. He opens our deaf ears that we might hear the word of Christ that brings us to faith. This is His work. And so what is our response? Our response is this we must be awake and we must be sober for the coming day. Now, many of us, when we hear the word sober, we just think that we've got to be somber and serious all of our days. And for many of us, as followers of Jesus, we have been far too somber and far too serious. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about be sober in such a way, be fully aware of what's coming. Don't be intoxicated by the things of this world as the picture that we're seeing here in these Scriptures. Don't be led astray to think that there is peace and security in this world when destruction is coming. Don't be unaware that the day of the Lord could come in an instant, like a thief in the night. We don't know the day. We just know that it's coming and that our command is to be ready, to be awake, to be Sober. To think rightly about these things that we might act rightly toward these things. This was Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. As the gospel was beginning to go out in those early church days and Peter preaches that first great gospel message on Pentecost, he took as his text Joel chapter 2. Guess what Joel chapter 2 is about? The day of the Lord. He began sharing with them the gospel from Joel chapter 2. And these are some of those words. The Lord said, I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. And I know how we sometimes respond to that. What's so great and magnificent about the destruction of the world? What is great and magnificent is the glory of God. We are so often enamored with things of this world to our detriment. We are so often distracted by worldly pursuits. As your pastor, I am so often distracted by worldly things that have absolutely no eternal value whatsoever. And the scriptures are saying to us, wake up. Be aware of what's coming and live in light of the return of our Lord. This coming day of the Lord is inescapable destruction for the rebellious. It is a mixture of impending darkness for those who reject the Lord, unending light for those who receive the Lord by faith. But it is also imminent deliverance for the righteous. Talk about the righteous. We're talking about those who've been made righteous by what Christ accomplished for us at the cross. We are not righteous because of anything in us. What is in us has made us unrighteous. We need to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. When he died on the cross, he died for us. We see it right here in our text. Christ, verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, in that particular verse, when he talks about those who are awake or asleep, he's not using it the same way he used it in verse 6. Here he's talking about the same way he used it in in the end of chapter 4. He's talking about whether we are alive or dead, if we belong to him, we're going to be raised with him. That's what we talked about last week. But I want you to notice the gifts he's given us in the meantime. Here's what it looks like to live in light of the soon coming of our Savior. Here's what it looks like to live in light of this coming day of the Lord. How does this change the way we live in the here and now? It changes it because He has given us these gifts that are meant to be enacted in our lives now. Not just in the future, but today. What are those gifts? Let's look at these verses. Verse 8. He says... But since we belong to the day, since we are children of the light, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. These three faith, hope and love. Paul references these three great Christian virtues in many places, but we saw them at the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians. They serve as a bookend for this great book. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 2, Paul begins this book saying, "We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father, notice this, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope." in our lord jesus christ that's how he began this letter thanks to god for these gifts of god that were being demonstrated in the life of the thessalonican church and then he goes to the end of this book and he is commending them once again to recognize these three good gifts of god so what is he commending them toward first of all He's wanting them to see that we have a faith that looks back to Christ's finished work. Think about the role of a, of a breastplate, of that part of the armor that would guard the vital organs, particularly the heart, from any sword thrusts or spear thrust that might come, from arrows that might be launched. The, the role of the breastplate in, in, in guarding the heart and he's saying that's what your faith will do as you are looking back to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Looking back to the one who died for your sins to bring you to God. As you're looking back to him in faith, this will enable you to endure the sufferings of the present moment. Our faith is not just pie in the sky by and by, folks. This is eminently practical for us. We have a faith that looks back to the finished work of Christ. Not only that, but this breastplate also reminds us that we have a love that both looks up to God and looks to the needs of those that God has placed around us. Remember Jesus' greatest commandment. Man came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let your greatest affection be pointed to our great God. And he said also, the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. We have a love that looks up to God and then looks around the needs of those that God has positioned around us. That sees the needs around us and desires with the heart of God to reach them first with the gospel, but even then with practical needs as well, and to serve one another in, in in the church that He has given us, and to serve one another in this community, and to serve those on the other side of the planet through our prayers and through our gifts and through our going as God would enable us. But not only this, we have a helmet. This helmet of hope. What is the role of a helmet? If the breastplate is to protect the heart, the helmet is to protect the mind. He wants us to think rightly. Until we begin to think rightly, we will never begin to act rightly. Until we begin to think rightly, we will never begin to act rightly. And so he gives us this helmet of hope. We have a hope that looks forward to Christ's final return. And the world thinks we're crazy. Second Peter chapter 3. Already in the first century. There were those. 2 Peter 3 that says. That were saying. Well where is he? You keep talking about his return. Where is he? What does Peter say? He's being patient with you church. He's being patient with you. That you might complete The mission of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, Peter writes. The Lord is not slow in any way. He will not be late. The day of the Lord will come on the exact day, the exact moment, the exact time that God has appointed his return. The day of the Lord will come not one moment after that. But with the Lord, a thousand years is as a day. And the days is a thousand years. He's not bound by time. And so for those who now 2000 years later would say, well, where is he? You church people have been talking about Jesus coming back for so long. And where is he? If he's really coming back, what's going on here? Go to 2 Peter chapter 3 and see the word of the Lord saying he is coming soon. He's being patient with his church that we might fulfill our mission to reach the nations with the gospel. That we might be hopeful, filled with hope at his promised return. And finally this morning, our response to that. It may seem a strange response. As you look at verse 11, it may seem a strange response, but it's so necessary. Therefore, bottom line, what do we do with this? Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. This means that in the meantime... As we were looking to and longing for the return of our king, we are to be awash, to be flooded with mutual support, encouragement for the coming day. And so I want to I want to recommend some spiritual medicine for us that I think we too often leave in the medicine cabinet. He's saying, in, in light of the Lord's return, we have much to be encouraged about. And so I, I want to ask you this morning, what is discouraging you right now? Perhaps it's your physical situation. You're not as spry as you once were. You're not able to do the things that you once could do. And it's beginning to get you down. Perhaps it's a, a broken relationship There's been conflict, there's been a mess that's erupted with someone that you have dearly loved and and you're not sure how to fix it, it's just broken, you don't know exactly what to do. Perhaps you're in an economic difficulty, not sure how the bills are going to get paid or if that job is still going to be there for you in the coming days. Perhaps your children have gone astray. We go on and on with the, with the list of things that, that might be burdening us this morning. But if I were to ask you, well, what is discouraging you? And then I were to say to you, what would it be like if we were to apply this spiritual medicine? see here's what we do in the church somebody comes and we uh, we take uh, a prayer request in our classes or someone comes with a with a prayer need you put it on one of the connect cards whatever way we receive this and 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 we'll say hey hey brother i'll I'll pray for you or or, sister don't lose heart or we we say good and biblical things but but let me ask us this church how often in the midst of Of seeking to encourage one another. Do we even give a second thought. To the reality of our coming king. I know some of you are looking at me like I have three heads right now. Say well what does that matter. In light of my cancer diagnosis. What does that matter. In light of my kid who's gone astray. What does that matter in fact, in light of the fact that I'm not going to have a job to go to tomorrow? And I would say the reason that it matters and the reason that it ought to be spiritual medicine with which we encourage one another is what we are saying to one another is, remember, brother, remember, sister, this is not all there is. This is not all there is. We're not just being ridiculous optimists as Christians to say there's a better day coming. We are exhibiting our faith and hope and love in the Lord. We are putting that on display. And so as we share our burdens with one another, and Galatians 6-2 orders us to do so, by the way. So for those who have the mentality, well, I just don't want other people to be burdened with my stuff. You're actually keeping us from obedience to the Lord. Go read Galatians 6 2. But for those who would step out and would extend burdens and would extend words of encouragement, let's take up this spiritual medicine. What would it look like if we began to regularly encourage one another with the fact that Jesus is coming and so that cancer is not the end. That diagnosis will not be the final word. Your debt will not be the final word. That broken relationship will not be the final word because the reconciler of all things is coming. The real question that we're asking ourselves today is where is our hope? And so Peter reminds us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Paul has said it, Jesus has said it, and here Peter says the same. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. The earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. These are fearful words and yet necessary for us to hear. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, be, to be done away with, to be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to live, uh, to be in li- what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. He is coming. Are you ready? And if you are ready, how are you spending your life in the meantime? With these questions, let's bow before the Lord this morning. Father, I pray that there would be an appropriate heaviness upon us today as we consider your day which is yet to come. A date on the coming calendar that none of us knows, but that none of us should be unaware of. The most important day that is yet to come should be shaping all of our days between now and then. Because you have given us a mission in this world and you are being patient with us in its completion And you are gathering people from every tribe and tongue and nation. That one day we will be gathered around one throne. Worshipping one king with one united voice. Proclaiming your holiness. Your grandeur. Your majesty. Your faithfulness. And your love. So Father, I pray that as we come to the close of this service this morning, that we would consider the coming day of the Lord. That we would truly ask ourselves if we are ready. I pray for those in this room this morning that do not know if they are ready to meet the Lord. I pray that you might see that a way has been opened through the blood of Jesus Christ that they might come unto God, be made righteous by the righteousness of Christ. All their sins washed away and perfect righteousness given to them as a gift to be received by faith. And Father, for those who are discouraged, May they hear these echoing words. Our King is coming. This is not all there is. There is a better day to come. A day in which there will be no more death. Or mourning. Or crying. Or pain. All those things will have passed away. All things will be made new. And you our God will accomplish this. You will surely do it. This is your promise in hope we look forward to that day. Father, we thank you for your grace toward us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit has said to the church this morning. May we respond in faith We pray in Jesus' name.